Praise the Lord. Well, it's good to be back in church with the people of God and it's always a privilege to be behind the pulpit and sharing the word of God. And so uh, we're going to look at Romans chapter 7 this morning. And so uh, you will have recalled for those that were at the camp that I mentioned that it seemed to have come up in the topic of discussions and some of the scriptures and Brother Morris Nicholson was touching upon a few things and kind of I'm thinking, oh please, don't, stop there, don't go over, you know. <laughs> but because um, the Lord had already put something upon my heart. But really, I'm just going to build from that. And um, again, I just feel more confident that I have the mind of God and that God's going to continue to speak to us in relation to the topic that we're going to look at this morning. Now, in saying that, you may remember, because I have to bring you back now, um, but when I last spoke, I actually spoke about um, the, the, uh, the weightier matters of the law and that being the issue of love, being a motivation in our service to God as compared to legal, you know, a legalistic approach to God and so forth. Now, having contemplated further from that time, um, if, it, if, it was, if that was the only factor, we realised that we would fall short, True? Because our love for God is not always as it should be. And, um, and so if, if that was the only f- motivating factor and force that enabled us to live the Christian life, then we would need none other. But that's not the case. And so we find in Scripture that there's something more. Actually, you know, in, in Scripture there are various tensions, there are various truths. And so... You know, they, and these truths, they're held in tension because if you go one, too far one side, you can neglect the other and, and, you know, and this applies in many aspects actually. But as in relation to the issue that I want to consider, there are a number of factors that are involved and underpin our, the Christian life. One of those obviously is our love for God. That is paramount and it is a, a foundation. And then there's another aspect as well that relates to uh, uh, what I would call self-effort. You know, there is a degree uh, of effort that is required to, uh, to live out the Christian life. But everything has to be balanced and in, in place. And so there is an issue, as I, you know, remember we spoke about love and that, and that leads us to fulfilling the law. And the Christian life is not without law. There is a spiritual law, the law of Christ if you want to call it, uh, or Christians are to make a spiritual application or spiritual use of the law. And so this is very, very important. But like I said, there's the issue of love, there's the issue of effort, but even those two things in and of themselves are not enough. There is, a fu- there is one more fundamental aspect that is critical to living the Christian life. And what is it? Faith, the faith, that's what I'm talking about, uh, uh, God's enabling to do so. What has God given us in order that we can live the Christian life as God would require us and it is his spirit, amen. The Holy Spirit. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit of God, then nothing would be accomplished, nothing would be able, we would live, even if we had love, that wouldn't be enough. Even if we tried as hard as we can in self-effort, that wouldn't be enough and we would always fall flat in our face. And so God, amen, has given, made provision for the Christian life that we would live a life that is pleasing to him in holiness and righteousness and truth and that is through the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Ghost. 
So I want to consider with you this morning a spiritual way to live the Christian life or there are various terms, the spirit-filled life or being led by the spirit, walking in the spirit, the spirit-controlled life. There are various uses of the phrase but they all mean the same thing and that we would be uh, obedient to, we would yield to, we would allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in us uh, uh, that which is pleasing to him. And so to do so, to live the life that God would have us to do, we all need the Spirit of God. And thank God, God has made that provision. We find in Scripture that uh, uh, there are various phrases that are used. For example, uh, in Galatians it talks about the works of the flesh as compared to the fruit of the Spirit. And so I want to, uh, these are contrasting one another. And so there's the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And so I want to consider with you this morning a message that I have entitled, Bear Fruit to God. Bear Fruit to God. And if we are going to bear fruit to God, then this is only going to be accomplished by his Holy Spirit in us. Yes, there are other factors, love and our self-effort as we will see. It's required and it works in conjunction, but the foundation, the root, must be understood and applied correctly in the Christian life. Otherwise, we'll fall into the trap of trying to perfect ourselves after the flesh and we can live legalistically if we're not careful and fall into that trap. So we must understand the purpose of God's Spirit. Are you understanding where I'm, what I'm saying here? So let's look and find the foundation for this in the Bible and how the scripture actually speaks of it and applies it to the Christian life. Now there's so much that I could touch here and I will touch on a few things but I don't want to cram too much because I've put in enough but I hope by the end of the message there's a clearer perspective on how the Spirit works. So let's go and read from our text Bear Fruit to God. We're going to look at Romans chapter 7, verses 1 to 6, or 7, whatever it is, let's get to it. <clears throat> okay, Paul the Apostle's writing, and he says, Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law. Now, obviously, those the, the Jews would have understood, understood that. He says that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But, her hus but if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law, through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit, the spiritual way of serving God and not in the oldness of the letter. So Paul is giving us an analogy here and basically the whole 
principle that is being set forth is that now we as Christians have been freed from the law in order to be married to another. Does that mean we have no law to keep? No, the commandments of God are still there. Okay, it's just the law is not now, uh, as we don't use the law to try and bring about our justification to, to God and also uh, in, in the context of sanctification as well, as we'll see. But nevertheless, the law now does not have the same condemnation uh, as, as it brought upon us. The Bible is clearly teaching us, Paul states it, that we have been, been freed from the law. Now, the law being the law of Moses that we are not required to live according to some legalistic system. That's why they had that whole debate in Acts 15 because they wanted to impose upon them legalism uh, uh, in, in terms of circumcision and other aspects of the law of Moses. It was a big issue, had to be addressed by the church in Jerusalem and James presided over it and they made their determination there in Acts 15. And so, uh, and Paul is really laying down the theology or the uh, scriptural doctrine that surrounds our death to the law, or in this case the law of Moses and how it doesn't apply to us in the context here uh, as it did to the Jew. In actual fact, the, the, the law perfects nobody, we know that. In actual fact, the law propagates sin. That's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7. He goes on to give an explanation and an exposition of this and says, you know, in actual fact, the law doesn't perfect anybody, but by the law, uh, uh, the strength, actually in 1 Corinthians 15, the strength of the law or the strength of sin is the law. And so, in other words, the law only brings out the worst in us is what Paul goes on to talk about and you can read it. And so the problem is, is that we can't perfect ourselves and so that's why trying to live from the law is not going to be helpful or accomplish anything in the sight of God. The law only serves to empower sin. So if we were to live the Christian life under some legalistic system, then we would also fail ourselves. Look at verses 22 to verse 25 of Romans 7. Paul says, For I delight in the law of God, according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And then he says, in light of this, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin, of de sin and death. Now that statement in Romans 2, the reason why I've read it, because it basically is restating the, uh, the, that which Paul has stated and illustrated in our text in Romans 7. For the, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. 
And this is what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 7 and verses 1 through to 6 when he's giving us an understanding of how the law perfects nobody but how through Jesus Christ, amen, we are in right relationship with God and more than that we can live a life that is pleasing to him because we're not working according to the flesh but now we are walking according to the spirit. Now look at what Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 7. Do you not know, brethren, that I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? Now that's the statement, that's the truth. And uh, he illustrates it by referring to a woman who is in marriage to a husband. And he says in verse 2, For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law to, to, of her husband. So then, while her husband lives, if she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. That's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? We understand that. And so when it comes to the issue of divorce, uh, that's the, here are the grounds. Uh, and so a person, if, a, if a woman divorces her husband uh, or vice versa and, uh, and then they go and get married to another person, according to the scriptures, they're committing adultery. Uh, but in this instance, uh, Paul is saying unless uh, the one of the partners dies, uh, then they are freed from that law so that they can be married to another and so Paul is using that as an example to illustrate the spiritual union or the spiritual relationship or marriage as it's referred to in scripture that we have with Christ Jesus. Now listen to what he says in verse 4. Therefore, in light of that reality, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another to him who was raised from the dead, that is Christ Jesus. In the same way that we have been dead to the law uh, through the body of Christ because now what happens to us when we become Christians as our brother uh, Colm had spoken of this morning, we are now, that which is of the flesh is of the flesh but that which is of the spirit is the spirit and we are born again, we are born of the spirit of God, born from above. And in doing so, uh, uh, we are now f- uh, being freed from the law and we are married to another and that we are free to marry another, that is Christ. Now, what does that mean, that we are free from having to keep any law? No, what it means is that the law now, uh, we don't uh, use the law as a means or try and attempt to as a means of justification before God because we can't. We're freed from it. Actually, the law brings about uh, a knowledge of sin. The law condemns all men. That's what we're dead to. That's why Romans 8 says where well, there's no, no, no condemnation because we're dead to the law of sin and death. That's what Romans chapter 6 talks about. Read it in your own time. Or, or if you can go to Galatians, let's read it. Galatians is, it puts it perfectly. Galatians chapter 2 <coughs> and verse number 19. Listen to this. Paul says, For I, through the law died to the law that I might live to God. There it is. It's exactly stated the same thing again in our text in Romans 4, 7, 4. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Romans chapter 6. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in me. You see, this is the spiritual union. We have been dead to the law and we are married to another. Hallelujah. We are married to Christ. We are born of the Spirit. We, are, we have been freed from the law of sin and death uh, and we are now living in the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus through our union with God and the, the whole manifestation of this is His Spirit is in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen. We are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. That's the foundation. Now listen, in light of that union, in light of that position, in light of our justification in Christ through the death of Christ and, that he, uh, and all that he accomplished, and now being married to him we have been justified, we are sanctified, we are declared righteous in light of all that we are, declared holy. But listen to what Paul says in verse 4. He says that we should bear fruit to God. Now listen carefully to these words because they are critically important for us to understand. We must bear fruit to God. Does it say we produce fruit to God? No. Because if it said that, the whole implication changes. It says we are to bear fruit to God. So, the, so all of a sudden now, the born of the Spirit, the Spirit's in us, we are in union with Christ, the Holy Ghost fills us and now we are to yield and we are to bear fruit to God. This is the natural outcome and this is why Jesus says you drudge a tree by its fruit. That's why the Christian who professes Christ must have a lifestyle that is demonstrating fruit. See, because this is very, very important for us to understand. Look, go back to Romans chapter 6. Look at verse 22, just a few verses before our text that we read. Paul says, But now, having been set free from sin, the law of sin, freed from the law, dead to the law, and all that's associated with the law and sin, having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. And the end, everlasting life. See, the fruit unto holiness. Holiness. See, thank God we are declared holy. But our lives now must yield and bear the fruit of holiness. No, so see, this is where people can make the mistake and I've been in that trap and I'm sure many others and we can fall into a legalistic approach where we're thinking, okay, it's, you know, uh, this is what I have to do, this is what this person has to do, that's this and that's that. And so people set up a whole system of regulation of how they are to conduct themselves as a Christian to be holy and that's where you come into legalism. Or as, as it is in the SDA case, you've got to keep the Sabbath and if you don't, then you're in trouble. And so you have all these means that are attached to the Christian life which is not bearing fruit to God. That is works of the flesh. We are to bear fruit to God and and in this case that manifests itself through a holy life, a life that is separate from the world, separate from sin. I found this particular quote, let me read it to you. It says, your life is compared to a garden and not a factory. So this is important how we view and how we understand this. 
He says, have you ever considered the fast difference between works and fruit? Works suggest a factory complete with pressure, deadlines and the constant need to produce. But fruit pictures a peaceful, tranquil garden. It is important to realise that God doesn't come to his factory looking for products. He comes to his garden to enjoy and look, or look for and enjoy its fruit. The gospel of great grace invites us to leave the life, uh, leave behind the smog and pressure of a factory life like of works and instead bear fruit that God desires to see in the garden of our lives. That gives you a bit of an illustration. We are to bear fruit. God is, and so it's not something that we can produce in and of ourselves because this moment we try and do it in and of ourselves, that doesn't mean there's no self-effort involved. We'll get to that in a moment. But if it's born out of ourselves and of the flesh, then we will corrupt the whole and leaven leavens the lump. God wants fruit. Jesus said this, and this is the foundation, John 15 verse 5. I'm the vine... You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. You see, we bear fruit to God. We don't produce the fruit. We can't. The moment you think you can produce the fruit you'll become aloof and you'll become full with pride and the fruit will just, it won't be fruit, I can tell you that. You see, Paul says in verse 5 of our text, for when we were in the flesh, see now we're in the spirit, right? We've established that. We're married to another. But when we were in the flesh, living under the power of the sinful nature, the sinful passions that were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. You see, that was, that's how it works. The flesh can bear nothing other than that type of fruit. Paul says, that there was the, when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions were aroused by the law and he illustrates this further. That's what happens and he says, all it produced was the, we bore fruit to death because we can do no other. We all are born with the same sinful nature. We all, amen, have fallen short of the glory of God and so we can produce nothing, nothing that is pleasing to him. In the flesh, there's nothing we can do to bear, uh, uh, bear fruit to God. In actual fact, we bear fruit to uh, whole un, uh, unrighteousness and sinfulness and wickedness. But listen to what Paul says in verse 6. But now, now, as Christians, we have been delivered, delivered from the law, we're not under the condemnation of it anymore, nor its power, and we have died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. So in other words, we're not living according to some legalistic system, we're not living according to the law of Moses by no means, but now we are living in the newness of the Spirit. And this is critical for us to understand. This is, this is God's way. It's learning to live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. And this is a newness of life. What does the Scripture say? As any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. All things become 
new. What is it that's new? The Holy Spirit in you. The whole spiritual life is something now that we have to learn to walk in the Spirit. We have to learn to live in the Spirit. We have to learn to please the Spirit, amen, by obedience and and doing those things that are pleasing to God. But this is how it works. It's the newness of the Spirit. It's a new way. And it's the Holy Spirit's way. It's God's way. It's God's provision. It's how God has ordained it. See, it's not according to law. It's according to the Spirit. And the truth is, is that we can, people, and we, we find this, people can, are, are and can be trapped in a, in, a, in a state of legalism. Go to Galatians chapter 3. The moment we try to please God by just the works of the flesh and we're not yielding the fruit that God requires... We're moving into a dangerous territory. And Galatians talks about it in the context of the church there who, um, who had gone, who were desiring to go back under the law. But there's a principle that relates here as well. But look at what Paul says to the Galatians and their error. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? You see, because you can't receive the Spirit by... The law perfects no one. You can't receive... We are dead to the law so we can marry to Christ. That's what Paul has already established. He says, how did you receive the Spirit? By some works by some, something that you achieved, by something that you perfected in of yourself to qualify? He says, or did you receive it by, the, by faith? Obviously, it was by faith. And he says in verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? This is the danger that can anyone, any Christian can fall into. See, the, 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 this, it's like... Walking on a high wire. Sometimes that's what it feels like because the, 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 we have the flesh that is always lusting against the spirit. There's the enemy, that's, there's, the, there's the spiritual forces of darkness that constantly want to trip us up. There's the flesh that we have to deal with. There's ourselves that we have to deal with. Amen? And so we have all these things that are working against us to try and nullify the work of the Spirit. And so to learn to live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit is the challenge for every one of us. And I say this because this is the ingredient that is required to live the Christian life successfully, fully and in, the fu- and in, in fullness. And that's why I make this emphasis. You see, where legalism exists, you know what legalism will produce? And that's why if you go to Galatians chapter 5, it tells you if you walk in the flesh, you know what happens? The sins of the flesh will manifest. It's unavoidable. I've seen this. I have observed it. I know it. If you're walking in the flesh and you're trying to walk according to your own strength, not only will you fail and fall short, but you will fall into deeper error and, deeper, and, and into the stranglehold of sin in your life. You've seen it. What happens to places that are bound with legalism? It's, isn't it always the case that the leadership are corrupted in some way, shape or form? And we look to them and think, oh, they're so holy because look at how they're living. And then you realize, and one day the, lift, the lid's lifted and you go, ugh, it's ugly. 
because the gap because when you live according to the flesh you will produce the works of the flesh it's inevitable might take months might take years doesn't matter it's coming you will bear the fruit of it but listen to what they are go to Galatians 5 now let's look and just to make highlight of this in verse 16 Paul says I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Is anyone relating to that? This is the the dilemma of the Christian life. This is why we have to learn to walk in the spirit, live in the spirit. Otherwise, if we walk according to the flesh, it will gain the ascendancy and it will dominate and corrupt us. But listen, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries and the like, of which I've told you beforehand, just as I've told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But look at verse 22. This is the contrast now to the... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against which there is no law. Now look at verse 24. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh, have, past tense, with its passions and desires. Now if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. If the Spirit of Christ is in us, if we are born again and the Spirit, we are in spiritual union with Christ then the exhortation is, then let us walk in the Spirit. You see, this is the challenge for all of us. And it is a, it's, a, it's a constant challenge. Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. The moment you think you got there, and pride gets corrupted again, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, uh, there's nothing good that dwells in me. You know, we're being changed, we're being transformed, but every time we think we're getting there, something else rears its head, and that's how it works. But, but what I'm saying is, in spite of this, the Spirit of God is, is a duality to this, and we learn to live and we learn to walk in the Spirit. And this walking in the Spirit requires your effort you can't just walk can you I mean you can, this whole thing's not passive you have to actually put in some effort it's not rooted in yourself in your strength it's by the grace of God and by the spirit of God that enables we have to have that foundation we have to have that understanding but then the exhortation and the instruction is to walk you walk you walk in it walk in love walk in, in the spirit Live in the Spirit. And that's the challenge to us because it demands now that I have to make decisions, I have to make choices, I have to assess and examine my life and this is where, again, this is where we all fight that battle. But that's the way that it is and it's a process. And so how do we, uh, how does God produce that fruit in our lives? By us, listen, the Scriptures refer to it in a few ways. We yield to God is one aspect. In Romans chapter 6 it talks about this, but the word is present. Numerous times, five times I think it is. Present. 
present your members, present. And that's not passive, it's active. You have to do that. Uh, otherwise, uh, if you're not applying the truth of, and, and, and God's provision of the Spirit in Romans 6, then reckon yourselves dead indeed to sin and alive unto God. And when you do that, amen, you will make the necessary decisions and choices because God's enabled you to. That's how you do it. But when you lack that foundation and you're doing it of the flesh only, it will, it will end in ruin. But when it's of the Spirit, born of the Spirit, and you are working with the Spirit and you are walking in the Spirit, it will be success. And it's what we call the victorious Christian life. Really, it's, as many refer to it, it should be called the natural, normal Christian life. You see? When we introduce these terms, we kind of can complicate it. But this is what I'm talking about. This is, this is the Christian life. Not the higher Christian life. The reason why they introduced these terms because they realise not everyone is living it. And that's the challenge and it always has been and always will be till Jesus comes back. But we are called to obey God. So go to Philippians chapter 2. And again, uh, the scripture here puts it perfectly. And I've read this scripture and I've quoted just half of it and then you always get people that come to you and they say, well, don't forget the second part and then if you read the second part, don't forget the first part. Okay? It's dual. Listen to the scripture. You know it and you know what it says. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul's you work it out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And what's the next verse? For it is God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. So there's the source, there's the motivation, there's the power that lies behind. It is God that's working in us and we are called to yield. We are called to obey. We are called to work it out. That means we're going to have to make decisions. We're going to have to make choices. We're going to have to do as the Lord would lead us and instruct us to in various issues and aspects of life. Can you say amen? So, are we walking living in the spirit or are we walking and living in the flesh? This is the dilemma of the Christian life and this is what gets addressed so often and this is one of the focuses of preaching and this is why I speak of it today. Because so much could be said just in this question alone. We don't have enough time obviously to cover it all. But in the scripture we find words, you'll be familiar with them, to be carnally minded, to be carnal. To, be, to walk in the flesh. And so these are, all these phrases capture uh, uh, a life that is, uh, that is void or not adhering to the Spirit of God. That's why we find that we are to, exhortations in Scripture, to be spiritually minded, to have the mind of the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to live in the Spirit. And so you have the flesh and the spirit. And we already read it. The flesh lusts against the spirit. The spirit lusts against the flesh. So the question is, which one is going to gain ascendancy in our lives? It's a real question, isn't it? 
Are we going to, is it going to be the flesh that will dominate or will it be the Spirit of God that will dominate? Will we bear fruit to God uh, through our obedience and, or will we produce in ourselves the, uh, the works of the flesh from our, as a result of our disobedience to God? You see, Romans 8 is the glorious chapter. You know, we've just read and looked at Romans chapter 7 verse 1 to 6 and Paul makes a statement. He lays down a spiritual truth, a spiritual principle, a spiritual reality. And then he begins to build on it from verse 7 onwards in relation to how the law cannot accomplish what uh, righteousness in the sight of God. But rather the strength, uh, sin gains an advantage by the law because uh, of our uh, sinful nature that we possess. But then he goes on to say, as we read it before, who will deliver me from this body of death? See, this principle doesn't just apply to the, to the person who's not saved. There's, the, there's, a, there's a debate that rages. Is, you know, it's Romans 7 talking to a Christian or non-Christian. The, the reality is he's talking to humanity. And whether you're a Christian or not Christian, the principle still applies. So it speaks to everyone, is my point. And it's speaking to us specifically. Now, there is, he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now he says in verse 8, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, because we're dead to the law. That's why he says that. So the law can't condemn us any further. It chases us, one man said, it chases us to the cross and no further. Once you come to Christ, you are born again, you are justified, you are sanctified, you are free. Therefore, that whole statement in Romans chapter 8, therefore is there for a reason. <laughs> and it encapsulates not only of chapter 7, but in actual fact it encapsulates all that Paul's been expounding in the whole first seven chapters of the book of Romans. But let's just look at this, if we can, briefly. I just want to draw your attention to it to highlight. You can meditate and study these things through in your own time. I just want to highlight them for us this morning because time doesn't allow us to go in any uh, extreme depth. But in Romans 8, it talks about the fact that we have been freed from the power of sin in our flesh, that we don't have to live according to the law of sin and death, but now we live by a new law, the law of the spirit of life in Christ. In verse uh, uh, verse. Uh, 2 it says that. Now look at verse 3 of Romans chapter 8. It's stating what Paul has already established. He says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. You see, in other words, the law could not make the sinful nature cooperate with God. The flesh is enmity against God. It's an enemy of God. It won't submit to God. And the law can't make it. In actual fact, the flesh rebels against the law and, uh, re- and, and uh, it brings out the, the worst side of us because of our sinful nature. So for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, the, the law perfected no one. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and on account of sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Now look at verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Okay, Christ is the end of the law unto righteousness, Romans 10.4. And so here it is, we are declared righteous in him. Now listen to what it says in verse 4. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 
Now notice in Romans 8.1 it says, Therefore now there is no condemnation to those who, in Christ Jesus, who, do, who walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. You see, because it's, again, this is a spiritual truth. It's a spiritual life. And we have to understand this. You have to be acutely aware of this as you live the Christian life because to be ignorant of it will be detrimental to your, your, the practical experience of your Christianity and of your own walk and relationship with God. Now, we have been declared righteous, verse 4, Romans 4. Now, listen to this. Who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. This is how we are to walk. This is how we are to live. In actual fact, verses 3 and 4 is really uh, just a re-emphasis of Romans chapter, one, chapter 7, verse 1 to 6. This whole issue. We've been married to another, Christ, that we would, look into verse 6, that we would serve in the newness of the Spirit. Now that newness of the Spirit involves, as it says, that we would walk in the Spirit, that we would live in and according to the Spirit. Look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh... Now, this is a principle. If you're going to live your Christian life according to the dictates of the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit... And this is, the, this is the, the, the challenge for all of us. Are we going to walk after the flesh or are we going to walk after the Spirit? How do, we, how, how do you learn to walk in the Spirit? You renew your mind. You read your Bible daily. You can't. If you're going to be a spiritual person and not read this book, then you are already destined for failure. Because this book is spiritual. This book, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And you must, be, you must read the Bible. And as you read the Bible, our mind is being renewed, our spirit is being fed. Amen. I remember, and I've said it before, I remember crying out to God in areas of my life because I felt dominated by the flesh. And, uh, and I was saying, God, deliver me. And God said to me, and, and I don't say this often, but it was clear in my mind, God said, stop feeding the flesh. Because if you feed the flesh, you will walk according to the flesh and you'll bear fruit or produce the works of the flesh. But if you feed the Spirit, then you will begin to live in the Spirit. Amen? Amen. So you've got to read your Bible. You've got to seek God in prayer. You've got to walk humbly, faithfully and, and serve Him wholeheartedly. Because otherwise, uh, beware, the world will, st- uh, will steal our, our affections and, w- and we will begin to walk according to the flesh if we're not careful. So it goes on to say, verse 6 of Romans 8, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. See, that's profound. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. That was verse 6. Look, can I just bring you back to verse 5 again? For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit... For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. See, if we're going to live and walk in the Spirit, then we will bear the fruit and that Spirit of life will come forth in our lives and it will bear the fruit of peace in our hearts. The life of God will be so manifested. And this is the principle. Go to verse, and now look, look at verse 7. Because... 
the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's why, you, that's why the, the whole emphasis is bear fruit to God. Because in the flesh we can do nothing to please him. In actual fact we spoil everything and it's an offence to God. But if we will walk in the Spirit, yield in the Spirit, as the Scripture says, bear fruit to God, bear fruit to holiness, then we are walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, and that's how you please God. That's how you please God. So you've got to judge the thing, various things in your life because you can't partake of certain things because what are you doing? Are you feeding the Spirit or the carnal man? If you feed the flesh, you'll of the flesh reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll of the Spirit reap everlasting life. It's really simple. But yet, you see, the flesh lusts. The, the carnal man loves to feed on things that we know that God doesn't approve of. And that's why we have to discipline ourselves. But not to live according to law, because it's, what you've got to do is just you say, you know what, I love God more than I love the world. So I said, do not love the world. That's the problem, is our love. Our love's not in the right place. Then out of love comes the effort. But the foundation of all of this is the Spirit. And so, we have to learn to walk in the Spirit. And so many are fleshly minded. So many can be carnally minded. And this is dangerous. We've got to be mindful of this in our own lives because it's, it's, it's not who we are. We can all come to church, but how do we walk day, day to day? If you were to live with me for a week, what would you see? <laughs> if I was to live with you for a week, what would we see? We'd all be going, hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it, you say, let's do it because I tell you, that would be the biggest sharpening tool, wouldn't it? Let's be real. If we all put on our Christian faces, our Christian clothes. <laughs> and we're all spiritual in church. But you see, every day, amen, what do we do during the course of the day? What are we doing? Are you seeking God? Are you drawing near to God? Now look, we read verse 6 where it talked about to be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We looked at verse 8. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now look at verse 9. But you, Paul's laying down this principle and it's talking, he says, but you are not in the flesh but in the spirit. That's us in Christ Jesus. We are in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, that's the qualification, if the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he, he is not his. That's why when we don't observe the fruit, when we're someone who's professing Christ, we, what, what is it that we're looking for? We're, well, you know, again, not to be too critical here or harsh, but there's a, there is a truth here. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're not his. And what Paul goes on to say is very interesting because he tells us, if you go down, now look at this, verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now go to verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's going to require some self-effort for that. Mortify the flesh. Kill the flesh. Put the flesh to death is what Paul is saying. That's what you have to do. Now listen to verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. In other words, Paul's saying we are debtors. We as Christians who are blood-bought, who are now dead to the law, married to Christ, we have an obligation to God to obey him, to walk in a manner that is worthy before him and we have an obligation to be led by the Spirit and the Spirit wants to produce us to produce and bear fruit to God. That's how it is. And so that begs the question again, are we, being, are we walking in the Spirit? Are we living in the Spirit? Or are we carnal? Paul wrote to the Corinthians and there's conjecture here but I believe, uh, you know, there, there is such a thing as carnal Christians, okay? There is a th- such a thing. Paul is addressing carnal Christians. And he, he says to them where these things exist, you know, he's talking about the works of the flesh that are operating in their midst and he says to them, you are carnal. You are carnal. And we can be carnal, this is the problem with Christians in professing Christ is that we are not manifesting, we're not displaying spiritual qualities as we ought to but our lives are characterised by such a level of carnality. Now carnality exists in us all. Okay, let's be real. You know, I'm just so spiritually minded you know, and just say, it's, we don't, let's not be aloof here. There's a, there's a battle, there's a constant uh, uh, struggle in this area but what I'm saying is, uh, is that we are not dominated by the flesh. We are not to be dominated by carnality. And when it rears its head, we pray the Lord help us to understand so that we can uh, put those things to death, amen, as we ought to, and continue to walk in the Spirit. But that's the challenge. Walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit. Can I say this as I conclude? Let's bear fruit to God, all of us. Because if the tree doesn't bear fruit, what did Jesus say? He, he, He... well, he can do a few things, but let's, I'm focusing on the fact that God will prune it. He'll bring discipline. Romans 12, what did he say? That we would, through the discipline of God, yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Fruit. That's what God wants. And God will work it and he'll work it in our lives and in order that we will yield, we will humble ourselves, we will obey and that fruit will be produced. So let's bear fruit to God and we do that because and by his spirit that is in us. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's.